All right. Hello, everyone. So, a long time here. Sound looks good. Okay, so today um, we're going to do is finish off Hamburg, and then we're going to start talking about the next assignment. So the um, the essay assignment, and I think what I'll do is um, I think maybe we'll start with the thesis with the uh, the writing assignment, and then. We'll, we'll finish off, um, we'll, do, we'll do the second act of, of the Prince of Hamburg. Um, so, what about 14 people? Hmm, okay. We're a little short, but we'll live. So I have the, the research paper pulled up here, and it's due on the 7th. So in terms of um, calendar and whatnot, we have, um, it's due two weeks, it's due about a week after Thanksgiving. So, you would have, uh, you know, Thanksgiving off, we have next week we have Under the Gaslight we're working on, um, week after that is Thanksgiving, week after that I believe is Ibsen, and then... We have, um, then we have, I think the last day of class is the 7th, so I believe it's due then, and then you have, uh, the rest of the week and the week after, you have the rest of the week to do the final, or study for the final, um, and so we'll have a, I'll put together a, a study guide for the final over the Thanksgiving break. And we'll be, we'll be able to do that. Uh, so, yeah, that gives you about three weeks to do this assignment, a little more than that. So let's get into it and let's talk about it and, um, and the different aspects to it. So this next assignment is going to take the form of a standard research paper, write a thesis, develop an argument, uh, rally evidence to prove your point, etc. Um, you know, the the prompt says to go to the library, but uh, or go to the library website. Oh, that's good. I, I wrote it correctly. You go to the library website and try and find three articles or books that cover the same topic that interests you. Um, and so, one thing you might want to go to the library website and and explore different topics. Um, and you're writing between six and eight pages using three sources. And what's being graded here are is the thesis. Do you have a good thesis? Um, do you have you know your three sources? Are they related? Do you summarize what the, the author is saying in each source and why they're relevant? Um, and then last it's um, does each paragraph further your claim, etc. Does each paragraph work through a single idea, or does it wander in many different directions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, um, yeah. And so, about uh, whew, roughly a little less than half the grade is um, is about supporting your argument. About a little less than half the grade is about the thesis, and uh, about a fifth of the grade, the remaining are how you use the sources.
All right. So what we're going to do today then is dive into the first part of the paper, which is the thesis. And we'll next week maybe jump into to kind of research, looking at sources and things like that. But initially, we're going to talk about you know what makes a good thesis, what you have to do for that part of the project, um, and then we'll we'll get back into Hamburg. Okay. Any questions about that initial introduction? Okay, that is uh, very good. So let's let's get into thesis writing then. And I'm gonna have a, as usual, a slideshow type thing ready for you. Okay, so this should be hopefully up. All right. So, what are thesis statements? Rhetorically, thesis statements are important because they clarify for the reader the controlling idea of the paper. And so, without a clear thesis statement, the reader may lose patience because he or she doesn't see the point of the paper. So what you yeah what what you're doing is what you're trying to prove or argue in this paper, as well as you know what this paper is about. For you guys, um, the thesis is going to be an anchor. Uh, it is something you're going to start with, um, but you are eventually going to maybe change it over time, alter it as you go along, but you probably want to try and start with a very rough thesis statement to um, to lead you through the type of work you're going to try and do. By having a thesis statement, by having something on the topic of X, Y, or Z, you can then begin your research, you begin to develop an argument, and over time just let the thesis statement change. So for you guys, a thesis statement is both kind of a beginning and an end. It's a way of introducing yourself to the topic matter that you'll be dealing with, and it's a way of, um, ultimately, in the end, it's a way of disciplining the research you've done. Okay? So, common thesis errors, before we get into the actual thesis. So, it's too vague or broad, yielding to an unwieldy paper. Um, the, uh, the thesis is too narrow or factual, it cannot be developed into a full paper. So examples of these. So a vague thesis might be um, the the Prince of Hamburg um, criticizes and compliments Enlightenment values, right? Just on the topic we're doing. Um, yeah. So. That that would be too broad, 
Right. Because it's just, it's about everything. It's about when it compliments and when it criticizes Enlightenment values. That is not a disciplined paper. It's going to be unwieldy. Uh, six to eight pages might sound like a lot, but w- with something like that, it's far too few. Right? It's kind of like a book-length study. So that's going to be a problem. But if a thesis is, let's say, too factual, you know, it might be that the uh, the, the Prince of Hamburg um, wasn't performed until years after its author's death um, because of nationalistic concerns. Um, the The statement there might be kind of, uh, you know, a, a, it's a sort of no shit statement, right? Where it's obvious that that's true. It's kind of contained by the facts. Um, the facts aren't supporting a reading. You're not reading the factual life of the um, uh, of the play, but you are. Um, you're not supposed to just read the facts of the play. You're supposed to interpret the the facts of the play, right? And so, if you're just being factual, if you're stating the facts, then you know the response to the reader is, "I already know this. Why am I reading this?" Right? This isn't a history paper per se. This is an interpretive paper. You're interpreting the facts of the case, and some of the facts of the case are the script, right? The the play you're reading. Um, that's not going to change, and kind of the historical circumstances. Now, you may choose to highlight some historical circumstances over others. Um, That's up to you. I would err on the side of making the most important facts be the text itself and reading that text, right? So you're um, you're not forced into this circumstance where you're doing a lot of historical research, I think a lot of the historical research I've already really done for you in terms of kind of our Monday morning lectures, right, on, on where we are in history at this point. Um, the the concerning facts really should be the essays or the, the critical essays that you're reading. Uh, excuse me, the play or the critical essays that you're reading. Um yeah. The other thing is if the thesis is too narrow, where you can't write a full paper, where you basically get a paragraph or two paragraphs out of it, um, if you really can't write six to eight pages on this topic, then you, you've chose too narrow a topic. The idea of six to eight pages isn't just to, to punish you or something like that. It, it's really to indicate what type of work you want to have done or I want to have done. Um, you want to be careful um, to write a, a claim about the facts. This is what a thesis does, uh, not just a purpose statement. Um, so a purpose statement would be, um, uh, it, you know, in this paper, I will discuss this, this, and the other thing. Uh, that That's really a purpose statement. A claim could be phrased in a somewhat similar way, but it's making um, a definitive and falsifiable claim about the text. So in this paper, I will prove that um, I will prove that von Kleist shows that the um, that the belief in nationalism is tied to the fantasies of the upper classes, 
it's not a great thesis statement. I'm kind of pulling that out of my, my head, uh, but that would be more of a claim, right, than a, than a purpose statement. You could still say in this paper, I will argue, right, um, but you're making a specific claim about, uh, about the play. The claim should also be falsifiable. What I mean by that is, if, you know, anybody's in the sciences or, or heard this claim, is that it can be mis it can be disproved, right? So you know, you wouldn't say, you know, the the Prince of Hamburg is a great work of literature, right? That you know, that claim is sort of wishy washy. You can't really disprove that it's a great work of literature or not great work of literature is is a vague statement of facts and so since it is vague it, it's really hard to falsify so you want a solid statement of facts um, next up yeah students neglect to take a stance on an issue so yeah you you again we want to argue something um, something that's debatable right maybe the Maybe the production of the Prince of Hamburg we saw is actually a critique of um, the romanticizing of nationalism. That, you know, that would be an argument, right? In this paper, I will argue that um, the director of this production is critiquing romantic notions of nationalism by revealing them to be X, Y, and Z. That that would be a, a the kind of the model of a thesis there. Um, that is a debatable claim, because you can argue, on the other side, it is celebrating romantic notions of nationalism, or celebrating nationalistic attitudes as romantic, right? It, it, you know, you could take either stance, um, and then rally information to, to prove it, or, or disprove, prove your point or disprove their point. But if you just observe that, you know, the prince is very romantic, he, he has very fantastical notions of himself, and of the law, you know, the, we know that, right? We, we're, we've seen the play, we've read the play, or read the play. We can observe the same things you observe. Um, it's what you observe is important in terms of the claim you're making. So that is also another thesis error. Um, good. Uh, strategies for helping students develop strong thesis, theses. Um, so, yeah, so we will jump over this because when we get to your actual thesis, we're going to do this right now. Um, but when we get to the actual thesis, we'll talk about how to, to improve these. Uh, so here is a, a draft thesis, right? And a draft thesis is a good step to take. It's just you're writing kind of a bullshit thesis in order to do research, right? So um, uh, the Prince of Hamburg is, I think, about romantic nationalism. Okay, you, that's not a position. You've not taken a position vis-a-vis -vis romantic nationalism. Um, but you know what you're talking about, right? You know what you're researching. You know your topic, in other words. Um, that's kind of a draft thesis. It's sort of like a topic. And... So you get to see here something similar to that. Many people think that sewing is not an art form, but I do. Okay, well, this is kind of too vague, right? What does art form mean? This is like saying the Prince of Hamburg is great literature. What does great literature mean? What does art form mean? 
Um, which, what kind of sewing? Use clus uh, clustering to consider options. So we have this idea of sewing. What what the hell does that that mean? Um, then you know start to do the five W's and an H. Uh, the standard kind of interview questions that can really help to narrow down and discipline your thesis. When people nowadays may be more prone to see the artistry of quilts, especially quilts that are designed today, but 20th century quilts that were made from scraps are probably seen as utilitarian, not artistic. Um, narrowing the focus, right? Not all of romantic, romantic nationalism, this kind of um, oppression version of it. Not all of quilt making, but, you know, stuff in the U.S. South. Um how do you know? So this becomes where some evidence is gathered from. Okay. Uh, and then this is really important. What? What is meant by an art form? Um, so something that can generate aesthetic judgment. Well, that's pretty important. So aesthetic judgment uh, would probably mean a community of critics or other artists who are judging and evaluating quilts. They're not just buying them for, as said on the, the previous slide, for utilitarian purposes to keep warm, but um, maybe you start to see quilts purchased um, and, and hung up, right? Not, a, not used to keep warm, but kind of hung on the walls or something like that. Maybe you start to see um, written discussion about the qualities of different quilts uh, you know, writing about attention to color, pattern design, technique, etc. Um, then why is it considered this? Why did this, uh, this aesthetic judgment take place or not take place? Uh, and this, this author here, this imaginary author, is drawing an analogy between quilts and other kinds of low art, graffiti, murals. Um, and you begin to see an interpretive thing beginning to happen by asking these questions. Uh, this author writes... They're produced by the lower class, and they have less value. So the, additionally, I'll just give you, additionally, they were typically made by women for the home, and both women and the home have been traditionally undervalued, right? So now there's kind of a, a an interpretation of things going on. We get a definition of art form, so it's becoming less vague, and we're getting a reading of why something might be given aesthetic judgment or not be given aesthetic judgment. Um, it's kind of a lower class artwork. It's it's a home body artwork. It's, it's made by women in the home. Um, and at a particular point, maybe these things which have always been considered um, not art or low value art begin to um, begin to be evaluated aesthetically at a certain point. And you know, why the hell did that happen, right? And so now we're approaching a, a a thesis. Quilts began to be considered worthy of aesthetic judgment um, because X, Y, and Z. Uh, or quilts were beginning to be considered for their aesthetic qualities um, around the period of X, um, even though they normally were undervalued as... Uh, women's work um, because of X, Y, and Z. And we begin to see there is a, a kind of cause and effect here, a, a statement of fact, and a falsifiable statement. Um, and then this Y here, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm not wild about this one, but uh, you, you could see that we're we're moving here from observations to to arguments. Okay, revised thesis with a map like painting quilting involves aesthetic judgments requiring artistic skill and generating an emotional response. Revised thesis without thesis map. Quilting association with poor women in the South has led some to undervalue their artistic talent required to produce a quilt. Okay. So you see here this this element called a map. Um, and I think the, the map is, I sometimes call this the list thesis, but it's the fact that, um, that the thesis as it's written, sort of mirrors the structure of the paper, right? And so by reading the thesis, you can sort of see the direction the paper is going to go in. Let me be a little more clear. Like painting, quilting involves aesthetic judgment, requires artistic skill, and generates an emotional response. This isn't the best thesis statement in the world. I would say this is uh, the next step in the thesis statement, not the final thesis statement. But anyway, what you have here is three steps, right? Three, um, three subtopics bound together in a single thesis. Aesthetic judgment, artistic skill, emotional response. And so you could imagine that the paper that this thesis would generate would have these factors. Aesthetic judgment, you know, one part of the paper, the first part of the paper, maybe two pages would be about, um, aesthetic judgment and how that factors into the elevation of quilt making. Uh, artistic skill. Maybe another two pages are once aesthetic judgment starts to be made, um, more skill is required to, to gain attention for quilters. Emotional response. Uh, then we get a reception history. How are people responding and treating these quilts once they're considered to have aesthetic value. And maybe that's the, the last two or three pages, last two pages, and then a, a closing. So you could see that the, the map, by making the, the thesis statement kind of list out the subtopics, it allows the writer, um, it allows the writer a structure for his or her paper. And it also conveniences the reader because he or she knows where they're going. You could see here the thesis without a map Quilting association with poor women in the South has led to some to undervalue the artistic talent required to produce a quilt. Also, not a really good thesis. Um, there is a provable point, because somebody could say, no, it was properly valued. Um, however, we don't quite know where that, that paper is going. Okay? Which isn't necessarily a problem, but it is, it is more difficult for the reader and since I am your reader and I am grading you, you do want to make it easier for the reader. Okay, that is that. Let's come out of here. Okay, great. So any questions about that? Okay, I know we have another three weeks to do this, but the the first step in more than three weeks in generating the paper is going to be um, 
I think coming up with a, a rough thesis, not a great thesis, not a thesis that's going to be your final thesis, but a thesis to which you can ask the, the questions about how, what, where, when, why, and go from there. A thesis which you can then, whose elements at least you could put into the search engine and try and find articles. And next week we're going to go through um, locating sources and things like that. And so that's the, um, that's what we're going to be, be going from here on out. Um, but the, the first step really is to be thinking in terms of a kind of topic thesis, real general thesis on the play and an idea in the play that you would like to explore. Okay. Okay, good. So let's jump back into good old Homburg. Um, here it is. All right. So, uh, let's talk about um, the conversation now. So we're going to jump, we're in Act 2, and Homburg has spoken uh, to, to Natalie. Natalie is the the niece and adopted daughter of the Elector, the Elector of Brandenburg, the person who is holding Humburg's life in his hands, and um, and Humburg convinces Natalie to petition the Elector on his behalf. Um, so, what argument does? Natalie make, and what is convincing to the elector in that scene? How about, you know, why don't we take a look at that scene? Because I think it, it's interesting in order to understand the kind of the, the romantic aspects of this. So let me just find it. Give me a second here. Okay. I'm going to, I'll say it again. I'm going to share my screen with you guys. I'm going to turn off the sound because um, it, it'll echo then. So you'll have to kind of type into the chat box if you, you can hear having trouble. So let me do that and then we'll talk about it. Okay, can somebody type if they can see the uh, the video? Just type 
yes, that you can see it and hear it. Okay, good.
Okay. So I should be back. <laughs> okay. So we see a few things going on there. Right. Um, let's start with the, the first part of that scene. Um, when, when she comes in, she's petitioning for the prince's life. What is the initial response from the elector? Um, well, he was basically like, well, did you not hear what he did? Like, he committed a crime, basically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the elector more or less is like, um, you know, I, I'm not thinking of myself. I'm thinking of my country. This is this is not something I want to do, but there's this, this idea of the law. There's something above us that needs to be obeyed. Um, and her response is, uh, you know, your, your country won't be harmed by showing some mercy right and so that seems to be the initial the initial conflict here it's it's do we kind of cut the law for the circumstance or do we just hold the law as um, absolute and move on from there okay good what ends up what argument does she end up making that really upsets and moves the elector to Free the prince. Um, well, she says that he, like, he was super vulnerable and, like, upset about the fact that he was going to be executed, and he was, like, freaking out, basically. Mm -hmm. And then um, the elector was like, oh, well, if he thinks that it's unfair, then... I should give him a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the, the way she frames it too, right? She says that if, um, you know, I am merely a woman, but, you know, if death had come for me, I would not be so distraught, right? And so there's this, this idea of, um, there's this idea of something is lost in the prince. There's something of his kind of nobleness or whatnot um, that is being lost, that the real tragedy isn't that the prince is going to, to die for the elector. What is the real tragedy? What shouldn't a person like the prince, a person with the prince's stature, not do? Well, he should be more, like, refined than that and, like, not, I don't know. Like, he was going into battle very unafraid. Mm -hmm. So that kind of didn't make sense is why he was so terrified to like be killed because he was prepared for it every time he went into battle. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. So th that's a really good point, Christina. He was going into battle all the time. And when you're going into paddle, you're always prepared to death, right? You you're, you're basically um, willing to sacrifice your life. 
And the prince has always shown that willingness to sacrifice. Maybe he's even a little too eager to show that willingness to sacrifice. But here, he's begging not to make a sacrifice. Right? And that seems to be what crushes the, what shocks, not crushes, it shocks the elector. Right? It's like this man um, has, you know, has fallen so low that he would beg for his life. Um, he's being crushed. He's deprived of will. And it's this kind of crushing of the will that convinces the elector to pardon the prince. Um, and, and the prince has his condition. He says, you know, the sentence, the, the, the excuse me, not the prince, the, the elector has his condition. He says the prince must reveal how unjust the sentence is. But that seems more like a a kind of paperwork thing, right? Like it's, it, it's, you get the impression that no matter what the prince writes, as long as he writes something, he's, he's free to go. Um, and so there we have the problem. And I think Christina, you make a really great point. Um, the position the prince is in as a military leader should be, uh, should have trained him not to beg for his life, right? Not to act in this way. And it seems like that that kind of um, brave cavalier is what is honored and respected in this society. And when the prince begs for his life, um, he's lost what is most honorable about him. Okay? So we have that. So that is kind of what's going on here. And... Um, so then later, the prince, you know, receives the letter from the elector in jail. Um, what is the prince's response to the elector's pardon? Oh, could you repeat the question? Sorry. Sure. What is the prince's response to the pardon he gets from the elector? Oh, um, he, like, all of a sudden changes his mind about, like, the death being unfair. And then he's like, well, if he thinks that I should make the choice to, like, save my own life or not, then, like... I shouldn't because I deserve this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. He, he sees what the elector is doing as just, right? And he sees then, like you said, Christina, if what the elector is doing is just, then the prince deserves this. Um, and what we have here then is that, um, you know, th this kind of his, his heart, um, his heart ends up becoming kind of his, his heart. I mean, he becomes devoted to the rule or the law. And the law has sentenced him. And as the prince says, you know, I'm not sentencing him to death because I, I want to, or because, um, you know, because he's doing it because he's upset with, with the prince. He's doing it for his country. You know, the, there has to be 
a sign of rule. There has to be a rule. There has to be regulation, and everybody has to be subject to it. Um, and when you know the kind of the prince realizes this higher order, he could kind of commit himself, uh, heart and soul, to that the rule of the state. Um, and so here we have like it's not just the I freeze? Yeah, you froze. Okay. Can you hear me, though, at least? Um, now we can. Now you can. Okay. It doesn't, I don't seem like I'm moving, but if you can hear me. Okay. Um, no. Okay. I, I seem to be back. Okay. Or roughly back. All right. Well, let's try that again. Um, where was I? So it, it's not just about following the outward forms of... Um, you know, of following the law, um, not just obeying it in terms of your actions, but really living it, right? Really kind of um, uh, subjecting yourself to the rule of the state, which is the kind of the rule of society. That seems to be part of this kind of, um, this romantic notion. And the prince says that he can't stand ignobly before a man who treats him with such worth. And so what does the prince do? What does the prince write back? I don't remember exactly what he said, but I think he was just like, yeah, we need to follow through with this. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we get. Oh God, it's freezing again. We do. We don't get the exact quote. I think, but you know, you get the idea that basically the prince says, you know, he 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 accepts the sentence. Yeah. And so let's jump to towards the end of the play, where we're in the elector's home, and it's around midnight, and um, the the soldiers come. Hosen Hohen is there, and um, uh, Kutwitz, his regiments, are now gathered outside the elector's home at midnight. Um, uh, Kutwitz, I think is how you say his name, uh, he is arguing in favor of the prince. What is his argument in, in this uh, second-to-last scene of the play?
Is it frozen again? Um, I remember one of the arguments was he uh, was basically blaming it on them because they messed with him while he was like sleepwalking or whatever it was that he was doing. Mm -hmm. And they like threw him off before battle. So he was like making bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the second argument. So that is uh, Hohen, Hosen Hohen's argument. He says, like, actually, Sahara, it was you who did, you know. Um, yeah, yeah, it's frozen again. That little, okay. Is it, is it good now? <laughs> is, is it, can, am I better? Can people see me? Hear me? Okay, good, good. Okay, so um, that that's the second argument. But the first argument, which comes from um, Kotswitz, the, the older soldier, um, what he says is uh, that, you know, first of all, the highest rule of conquest, all of that flows from the will of the elector, right? So there is this idea that what the elector wants really does matter. But also, um, and more, I think more interestingly, he says that I bet that if he was on a laptop, it died. Oh, there he is. Hi, welcome back. Hello. Okay, so <laughs> that kind of uh, more or less takes us to the end of the class. Um, so the, the point I was making is, um, and then I'll let you go, is the, the Kotswitz's argument is that he says, we need to obey the rule of instinct, and instinct is a law that advances us. And so what he is considering in this is not just the... Um, not just the law of uh, the law of the land, the, the kind of natural law, but we also need to consider. God damn it! This fucking thing is. Um, we also need to consider the the law of um, you know the, the law of the individual and how the individual and the kind of how the individual is in tune with nature and his or her natural instincts also needs to be factored in. This isn't to say that any one of these arguments is dominant over the other, but I think what makes this play interesting, and you know, my I brought it to your attention, is that um, is that it's sponsoring a lot of ideas about how the individual and the nation need to work together or are are not working together in terms of a lot of revolutionary ideas that were going on at the, the turn of the 18th into the 19th century. Um, and so hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this this particular production as well. I think it's actually a pretty good theater production of this play. And um, thank you for, for reading it. And uh, any questions you have, just let me know. I'll, I'm actually not going to stay on this 
window <laughs> after this. Um, I, I usually do so if anybody wants to do office hours, but we've had so many problems with it that, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to close down. And if anybody ne needs to meet, just email me. Okay. But otherwise you are free to go. Thank you.